I'm Joel Guy. And I'm Naomi Guy. And you're listening to Why Will No One Date These Guys? I think we should come up with a better intro. That's a great intro. What, do you want us to have like fireworks and explosions? Yeah, I think we should. That all all translates really well to an audio-only medium. I guess that's What we need to do is like those those old radio serials where, you know, they'd have somebody in the back with like a harmonica or a bike wheel and a piece of cardboard and be like, the motorboat is approaching. I think you're overthinking this. I think I'm I'm not thinking about this enough. We are a high-class production run by high-class people. That's true. It only makes sense that that we need to communicate to our audience a impressive range of audio effects. Um, Naomi, what are we drinking today? We are drinking the watermelon cucumber cooler juice beverage from Trader Joe's today. I don't really like it. I'm going to be honest with you. What do you think? I think we bought too much and I really wish they sold smaller juice packs. Yeah. Or just, Um, oh my God, a juice pack if you froze it. Oh, that would be good. We should put this in the ice cream maker. That would be fun. That would be fun. Watermelon ice cream. And this is why people come to our podcast, right? For advice about what to do with juice drinks they don't want. Well, we got it from Trader Joe's. That's why people come to our podcast. Yeah. Because this is sacredly just rating all of the Trader Joe's Joe's drinks. Okay. That that could be an extended bit we just do where Mm -hmm. we work through the entire Trader Joe's. Yeah. I feel like I'm just drinking a watermelon Jolly Rancher. I told that to Joel. He agreed with me, so. You know, when I was younger, I did genuinely think that, like, you would know you had made it if you could just shop at Trader Joe's for all of your meals. And I don't do that yet, but I'm I cool. thought it was Whole Foods, and now that I'm, like, an adult, it's Trader Joe's. I think my problem with Whole Foods and the reason I don't shop there anymore is because they're owned by Amazon. Yeah. Like, before they had some practices I wasn't a big fan of, and now they're just part of this giant dystopian corporate backdrop. Um, I mean, yes, it's all pretty and sanitized and all of that. And I don't know, it's gross to me. I'd prefer shopping at like an actual farmer's market or, you know, a place. You could just get right better vibes when okay, you go to Okay, in Tempe, Arizona, there is a place called Tempe Farmer's Market that's yeah. literally like 200 feet from Whole Foods' door, right? Yeah. They built it right next to that, wholly knowing that there was like a community-owned place people could go for local Arizona delicacies. It's all about the... The community. It's. It, I think it's the vibe that you get when you go to Trader Joe's that, like, I really like. Ah, so Naomi, this is episode four. We've done our boring intro. We've done our exciting character introductions because yeah. we are both actually actors. None of the uh, information we gave in the last two episodes is any relation. This is all to, just a uh, long real lives. Again, this is going to become like a murder podcast halfway yeah. through, and if it actually does, that's going to be horrifying. Um, but I think we wanted to talk about like a very important topic in relationships right off the bat. One that's kind of like crucial to good relationships and human interactions of all kinds. Uh, what is that topic, Naomi? Today, we're going to be talking about consent. And before we start and go any bit any further, I'd like to add a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about consent, but this leads into other topics such as rape and sexual assault. So uh, take that as you will. And please stop listening right now if this topic will trigger you. And um, yeah. uh, we do not plan to go into graphic detail or anything. It's just the nature of consent is inexorably bound with sexual assault. Um, so yeah, that this sort of thing isn't your cup of tea. Um, yeah, L- listen to one of our more fun, more enthusiastic, peppy episodes, or just listen to our intros. Or our intros re-listen to them. Honestly, re-listen, re-listen to, to all too. of them. <laughs> That's where the Benjamins come from, you know. Um, so we actually have gone back and forth and kind of discussed how to present consent, because I think a big issue in how we talk about consent uh, is that <laughs> 
a lot of people don't seem to understand why it's important to value like people's autonomy. And that seems like really ridiculous and crazy, but it explains a lot of human behavior. If you just assume everybody isn't looking out for everybody else and everybody's kind of selfish. And so like, I wanted to talk a little bit about the motivations for like people having sex first, um, because I think this helps explain some of the reasons why it's really messed up to like violate people's consent. Um, so I'm a big nerd for an author called Don DeLillo. Um, I think he has written some really fun, exciting books on topics that are probably very boring to the average person. And there's a quote from his book Underworld, which is about a number of things in modern American life. Um, but there, there is a passage halfway through kind of disconnected from the rest of the text talking about sex. And the main character has this to say about it. Um, I'm not saying sex is our divinity, please, only that sex is the one secret we have that approximates an exalted state and that we share. Two people share wordlessly more or less and equally more or less, and this makes it powerful and mysterious and worth sheltering. Sex is the thing that you can get. For some people, most people, it's the most important thing they can get without being born rich or smart or stealing. This is what life can give you that's equal to others or better even, that you don't have to go to college six years to get. And it's not religion, and it's not science, but you can explore it, and you can learn things about yourself. Um, Naomi, does that quote mean anything to you? I mean, I really think it's powerful, because if, like, thinking about, like, the first situation in which sex was, like, brought up in my life, which was probably, like, middle school, high school, I would say that this is true, just because, like, reflecting on this quote, I would say that this is pretty accurate because it's something that you learn about yourself early on and you can learn so much about yourself without knowing it. And you can go years without knowing, like keep, like you can keep learning about yourself your entire life by exploring your sexuality and exploring your sex life. So I think it's, um, and it doesn't have to be pretentious, right? Like it doesn't matter how old or young you are. It's, Um, something that's accessible. It's something that, you know, they have that part about college in here. You don't have to go and get a fancy degree from Harvard in order to understand or access. Yeah. Uh, You know, very few people are going to be millionaires or billionaires. Very few people are going to be Hollywood movie stars. Very few people live out their dreams. But I think everyone has access to this thing called sex. And like, not only I would say there's a lot of biological desire for sex built into the human condition. Um, It's also something that I think our society tells us is important to pursue. Um, And I don't want to like overgeneralize. Not everyone's interested in sex. There's a lot of people who aren't. I think we'll at some point discuss like asexual culture in detail. I think that's something that's, you know, worth kind of making clear as a identity worthy of respect and a real genuine thing. Um, but yeah, I, I brought up that quote because I think it's a unique way of thinking about human sexuality and helps explain, again, kind of the background to consent. And I also wanted to tie this to uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, and Maslow's hierarchy of needs is um, a, a pyramid that kind of explains people's motivations. I don't know like how commonly is accepted in the psychological community nowadays. I think it was first proposed back in maybe the 1850s, 1860s. But basically, it's a way of understanding human behavior, what we prioritize, and then what we seek once we have like a firm baseline established. So like Maslow's hierarchy says 
primarily humans need food, water, warmth, rest. They have like physiological needs. And if those aren't met, then they're not going to be, you know, happy. You know, if you're hungry, if you're sleeping under an overpass, you're probably not going to be very mentally sound. Um, and you may not make the best of decisions because you're not in a mentally firm place. And then once that's established and you have, you know, all these things provided to you, you are going to prioritize things like safety and security, right? Now you have food, you want to protect it. Now you have water, you want to protect it. Um, and, and once you're in a state where you're no longer like constantly anxious over whether or not there's food in your belly, you can start thinking more about like your psychological needs and you prioritize things like intimate relationships and friendships and you seek out people around you. Um, you also s seek out esteem needs such as prestige and feeling of accomplishment. You try to achieve stuff and accomplish stuff. And then finally, at this kind of the top of the pyramid, Maslow says the highest thing people strive towards is self-actualization, where they're achieving one's full potential, including creative activities. Um, now, the reason I bring this up is because I think sex fulfills four, if not arguably five of those needs. And, and I think a lot of psychologists these days, again, don't structure it where it's people are pursuing these one after another. I think there's more of like bleed between all of them. But sex is something that helps people, you know, feel safe and secure. It helps bind them to others in their lives. It helps combine people in intimate relationships, maybe even improves friendships. It gives you a feeling of accomplishment if, again, sex is this thing that's kind of um, a way of, you know, exploring yourself and your identity, as well as, like, breaking barriers you thought you might not have been capable of. And then it also includes, like, achieving one's full potential. Like, maybe you feel that, like, you're a more well-rounded individual if you've, you know, had sex with a certain number of people. Maybe you feel that you're someone who's a, a, just a better person all around if you've, you know, experimented bisexually or whatever. But I think sex is tied to a lot of, like, the basic things people pursue. Uh, and that's why it's really, really bad if you interfere with this process and don't allow people a secure environment in which to explore it. Um, like... People like to explore sex at their own pace, right? They might fantasize about kinky behavior, but that doesn't mean they like actually want to indulge in it um, or they want to indulge in it at a pace that you're pushing or they want to do it with any particular people or that they have to be dragged into it in order to like meet their satisfaction or even like they lack the ability to back up a reverse course if things are like moving too fast for them. Um, in order for someone to be mentally healthy when they're pursuing these activities, and I'm you know, not stating a specific sex or gender here, I'm saying anyone in general, they need to have control over the activity itself. And it can be really psychologically damaging, in my mind, and in the mind of many psychologists and women and men around the world, if they're pressured into or forced into doing things they're not comfortable with at their own pace. What do you think about all that? You give me a look. I'm not giving you a look. Okay. I'm just... I think that you're giving a full background. I really enjoy that. Okay. Um, so, with all that in mind, sex being something that's desirable, sex being something achievable, sex being something that gives people a sense of satisfaction and well-being for their mental development, um, I think it's worth tying this back into consent. So we just went on this sort of aside to a primary topic of consent, and I feel maybe we haven't defined it properly. So do you have like a definition that we can use as a baseline for having this discussion. So uh, I'm going to plug two definitions of consent. One of them is from RAIN organization. I'm going to plug RAIN really quick. RAIN is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. And their definition of consent is consent is an agreement between participants to engage in sexual activity. Our other... Is that like a signed agreement? 
It doesn't have to be. It can be. Okay. It could be a handshake. It could be a verbal. Um, finger guns. Finger guns. As long as it's a yes uh, and not a no, it is considered consent. Okay. And I will go into more detail with this uh, in my next definition, which is from Planned Parenthood. And their definition is... Well, I don't know if this is definition. It's more of how you recognize yes. that consent has been established. Okay. That, yeah. So uh, a way that you can recognize that consent is given is the, what do you call this? Like a... The FRIES acronym? The FRIES acronym, sure. Um, so the, it, it is FRIES, F-R-I-E-S. The F stands for freely given. R is reversible. I is informed. E is enthusiastic. And S is specific. So, can you go through those point by point? Give me give us a little more detail. Like, what does it mean to say consent sure. freely given? Yeah. So, freely given. If you're in a situation where consent is needed, it needs to not be anything that uh, is hesitate. Like, you you shouldn't be hesitating, or your partner should not be hesitating when giving consent. Well, I think that's more of enthusiastic, right? No, no, no. I think freely given because if you are in a situation like enthusiastic, you can be like, yeah, or like, yes, I will do this. But I don't, it should freely given. I feel like it should be an automatic answer. Mm -hmm. So reversible moving on to R um, is at, at any point during the situation, which consent is needed. The yes that was given before can be revoked and all activities will be stopped at that point. I is informed. So when giving consent or asking for consent, both partners or all partners involved should be informed of all of the thing activities that are going on in the future couple of minutes that uh, involve the consent. Mm -hmm. So if any part of the situation is not informed, then we can go back to R, which is you revoke your consent because you didn't know the, all the information going into the activity. Right. E is enthusiastic. So we want a hell yeah or a yeah, yes, or anything that would show that you are ready and um, excited for the activity ahead. S is specific. So... We want to go with, yes, I am prepared to have sexual relations with this woman. <laughs> Just quoted Bill Clinton. Not really. Paraphrased. <laughs> Just thought of Bill Clinton. Allegedly. That. Allegedly, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Let's not get sued. So specific. Yes, I am ready to engage in sexual activity. Yes, I am ready to go down this uh, slide. Yes, I am ready to use this uh, sort of sexual toy. Anything like that would be specific. Great. I, I th yeah, I think that's a really good framework. Um, I, I think it fries seems kind of like a goofy thing, but it's also like a really useful acronym because it's going to stick in your brain. Yeah. I think it's also a good way of like thinking about consent because obviously consent can vary considerably depending on the hookup situation, the type of relationship you're in, what you know. Some do require signatures. Some some do require and signatures. Some just require sure. a verbal yes. So you can have your curly fries, you can have your wedge fries, yep. you can have your crinkle cut fries, but at the end of the day you still got the potato as the base. Yep. Um, and maybe again, that's a little of a goofy way of thinking about it, but I, I do think it's helpful to have this understanding that everyone likes fries. Their preferences might vary slightly, but you still need to have this like one thing in order to enjoy your fries. And that's a potato, and 
the five. Unpopular opinion. Okay. My favorite type of fries are In-N-Out fries. And a lot of people say their ta- favorite type of fries are McDonald's fries, but mine are In-N-Out fries. Um, I'm not a big fan of wedges. It's too much potato for me all at once. That didn't answer my 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 question, which I didn't actually ask you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just wanted, is this going to be a fast food podcast? Yeah, it's going to okay. turn into it. Um, yeah. Guys, so consent is an agreement between participants to engage in sexual activity, and there's five aspects to it. It's freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. Um, And again, I think it's good that they have five separate points because um, it's easy to imagine that you've established some sort of agreement with only three of those. But say if someone does all that stuff and isn't, like, obviously enthusiastic about it, one, that could mean that they're not in the best state of mind. Um, But two, it might also mean that, like, you need to have a serious talk about your relationship. Like, why is your significant other agreeing to have sex with you if they're not, like, genuinely happy about doing it? Uh, Why is it that, you know, you want to have sex with someone who's, like, obviously miserable when that happens? Well, that leads sort of into our next point, which is the fact that women are socialized to say yes in situations. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, we sort of mentioned this yesterday, or not yesterday, this is a daily podcast. This is a daily come podcast. Out on a daily basis. Um, we sort of, sort of mentioned this in the last episode. I was talking about how my parents didn't really raise me to like uh, suppress who I was as a woman. And a lot of um, young women that I grew up around, their parents sort of put them in a in the woman box and suppressed what they could have been. And so I am really good at saying no, and I have to teach my friends to say no. But like. Joel gave me an example the other day and I was like, oh my God, this is actually so true. Um, He turns to me and there's coupons sitting in front of me because we were talking about this subject. And he was like, hey, can you, in a very stern voice, he said, can you hand me those coupons? And I was about to say yes, but then I was tricked and I said no. Um, Just because we were talking about this subject of women saying yes way too often. So Joel... Have you ever met a person that says yes and overextends themselves way too much? Yeah, and I'll be completely honest, I think I'm one of these people. Uh, This is a big issue I have where, like— Were you socialized as a woman? um, I think I was socialized as a nice person, uh, which may be the same thing. I don't know. I just did finger guns, genuine wondering. Again, communicates great to the podcast. (laughs) Maybe have, like, a Batman biff sound effect or something. Okay, okay. Yeah, um— No, I mean, when I'm at work and someone asks me to do something, it is genuinely hard for me to say no. And there's typically a couple reasons. It might seem like something that's really simple that I know how to accomplish and they don't, that I know I can get done rather quickly, but it might take them longer. It might be because, like, they're super nice and, like, I feel that I owe it to them because they're a great person to be around. Um, It may be that... um, you know, I have nothing else to do at the moment. And even though there's other projects I could be working on, you know, I can easily put this in my schedule without, you know, interfering with the rest of my work day. Um, but, I, you know, I think that's true of a lot of people where they think that they're obligated just to help out other individuals. And I think it's good to be nice to people, but you need to understand, you know, you do have the opportunity at any time to say no. Um, it could be that they're asking me and they don't want to do the work and they know that I'm willing to do it. It could be that I'm in the middle of three giant projects and they could get this stuff done themselves, but uh, they're, you know, pushing it on me for those reasons. Um, it could be that I'm having a really bad day and this is just going to add to my stress. You know, I, I, I people need to understand no is always an option. Um, and I think a lot of women, you know, genuinely need to practice even for innocuous things, you know, just firmly saying no. 
not no with qualifications, right? Not, okay, I'll try to do that, but, you know, it may not be done quickly. You know, there's there's other stuff in my radar. Just say no, no. Um, and this seems ridiculous. Again, it's just a single word. How much power could it have? But establishing your boundaries is something that's super important in order to be like just an individual. Um, and, and, and people need to recognize if they don't have that ability to say no to simple everyday requests, because it means when like harder to ignore requests come things like a person wants to have sex with you, it's going to be much harder for you to say no. Especially if, you know, there's power dynamics, especially if there's coercion involved, especially if there's threats of violence. Um, you need to learn how to say no in everyday stuff to be prepared for kind of extraordinary situations. I don't know. That's my two cents. I want to touch on a couple of points. The first thing that you said to me, I asked you kind of jokingly a couple of seconds ago if you were raised, socialized as a woman. And you said, no, I was raised as to be a kind person. And I want to kind of double back on that just because I don't think that... A woman, I I would hope that people are raised to be kind people, yes, but I, I don't think that kind and saying yes go hand in hand always. Um, I think that, yes, you can uh, do kind things for other people that are acts of service or are doing favors for other people, but I don't think that um, being kind and saying yes to everything that people ask of you is um, they, I don't think they go hand in hand. The second thing I want to um, talk about is the fact that I think that a lot of women are, and especially women that I know, um, don't necessarily understand that this is something that can be considered self-care. And you were talking about how at work you um, overextend yourself. And I think that's a great example because if you overextend yourself in a work environment, you're not necessarily getting your job done. And that could, um, interfere with your, um, let's just say you're trying to get promoted, but you're doing everyone else's jobs too, Mm -hmm. along with yours. Um, and you're not getting the raise that you wanted and then you can't feed your family. Yes. Joel has a family of six children. All of them are cats. I'm just kidding. He just has one cat. But um, I think that it can be saying no can be considered a form of self-care. Yeah, um, I, I, I think maybe we need to have an episode that's all about forms of self-care because um, I think a lot it's of people, coming, people don't know how to like treat themselves. They don't know what makes them happy and they might try to fill that void with, you know, sexual behavior, you know, pursuing relationships, buying stuff. But at the end of the day, I think th- th- there needs to be more training and like meditation or yoga or, you know, just general basic stuff to improve your well-being and disposition and prevent your, like, brain from trying to rip itself out of your skull. Uh, There's a lot of stress in the world. There's a lot of concerning, like, overarching things. And even there's, you know, minutiae that might be specific to your life. And it's important to recognize, you know, how you can best resolve those issues and deal with them. Um, And therapy's nice, but therapy's very rarely affordable for people. So, you know, what can you they do They have personally? gotten better. You can do, like, online therapy now if you have, like, social anxiety or you don't have the money to pay yeah. for it. It's not the same, but it has a similar... You, you, it has a similar... It's still setup. very expensive, though. Uh, yeah. Eh, not necessarily. It depends where you go. 
we're going to price therapy after this. Okay. Your eyes are going to pop. All okay. healthcare is expensive. It'll be it'll be in a future episode. We'll talk about self care and the price of therapy. Sure. But but again, I, I want to circle back a bit because you know we're talking about this you know from women being socialized to not say no ever. And let's and I be clear, make it clear, everyone. Yes. Just like Joel mentioned, he is the type of person that doesn't like to say no very often, and he's found himself trying mm-hmm. to say no more often. Anyone, whatever gender you identify as can be socialized in such a way where you are socialized not to say no. Right. Um, you know, uh, you know, there might be women in relationships who want to have sex with their male partner and their male partner has just as much of an opportunity to say no and not be questioned as you would want to have if they were coming after you for sex. And, you know, this goes in and out of relationships. Um, you know, it applies to all kinds of you know, hookups, interactions, whatever, um, even, you know, at orgies. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people have this perception that men are constantly horny, that, you know, they're constantly looking for sex. And I feel that's deeply sexist. Cause I'd it's love like, to go into the psychology of that. Well, I mean, I, you know, we were raised with a kind of icky classical education, which if you dig too deep, everything's very rapey. Uh, the gods are rapey. Mean, the demigods are rapey. Yeah. The heroes are rapey. The talk about the amount of ra- are talk rapey. about the amount of dick jokes that were in Shakespeare plays. Well, we're talking about I'm talking about like classical antiquity. We're talking about like ancient Greeks and Romans. Shakespeare a little more modern. Shakespeare was classical, quote unquote. Okay, we were raised in the Western tradition. They fall uh, okay. under that umbrella, okay. sure. But but no, you have like the imagery of a satyr, which is you know a male goat guy with like a giant dick, and he would chase people. Um, because he was constantly horny, was consumed by his lust. Um, I'm not a Gresham historian, but I believe I was told that um, it was thought that if you had too big of a dick in ancient Rome, that you were an idiot, and that you know smaller penis size was actually ideal because it meant that you weren't constantly consumed by lust. Um, but yeah, like there, there's this perception I think in a lot of culture that men just can't control themselves, and women are better at like. Um, understanding their emotions. And again, I think that's deeply sexist. You know, it's basically saying men are nothing more than their impulses and drives. And, you know, if you don't believe men should be able to say no, you're basically saying that, you know, men are no better than animals and beasts. Well, we also have to turn that around because a lot of women or people that identify as women are socialized to not seek out a lot of sexual relations in fear of being slut shamed. And sure. men do not necessarily, or people that identify as men, are not necessarily slut shamed at the same rate that women are. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a big reason why that I think that ties into why men are um, given the term horny. Um, horny. I can't cuss on this podcast. Crap. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Go ahead. <laughs> Try your best. Why? <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Say the F word. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jeez. Um, see, I'm really good at saying no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. This was a lesson. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that's why men are are labeled as ho- more horny than women, because women don't go after uh, sexual relations as frequently as men do in fear of being slut shamed. Mm-hmm. And that's not every situation, but I feel like the vast majority of the reason why this is true that men are um, seen in this light is because of that aspect. I really think really need to dig into the history of like relationships because this is something I, I know a little bit about. And let's start with the Greek gods. We'll really start, get yeah, some yeah. some good relations. I was thinking about there. Gilgamesh, so the first story of stories. Uh, Should we have Mr. Bateman oh my God, on this podcast? That would be great. Yeah. yeah, let's just. 
go through. Oh fuck! What was? What did Enkidu do? Never mind. We're we're, we're, we're getting <laughs> off topic. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff in Mesopotamian myth. Um, yeah, I. I I agree with you. I, I think that's an interesting point, but you know, I, I wonder, you know, why that is, and I think it would probably have a lot to do with women being expected to be, you know, a pure virginal vessel for their yeah. husband and their courtship arrangements that you know were dictated by families for money and land and power. Um, and you know, sort of as society's changed, obviously that need to marry into wealth and be you know unblemished when you get married has gone away. Um, but clearly a lot of that still lingers. And I this think it's is, worth, you know, digging a bit into that because it would help explain, you know, why do are these perceptions still around and, you know, what point in the future can we expect they'll go away? Because on one hand, I think a lot of guys would like women to be more sexually promiscuous. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think a lot of guys think that women who have too much sex are, you know, sluts and they don't want to, like, date them yeah. long term. And so th- th- there's a lot of, like... Um, Negative stereotypes and tropes which make everyone's sex experience worse. And let's see what we can do to correct those. So moving right along into some go-to reasons to allow you to say no. Let's shoot some back and forth. I'll go first. My mom just died. I kind of just want to not think about her. Jesus. Or about anything. Jesus. Um... Reasons to say no, reasons to say no. Um, I feel greasy and bloated after all that Taco Bell we ate earlier. Okay, to be fair, Taco Bell's fire, but I don't think I would want to be having sex like on either side of that situation if I just had eaten Taco Bell. Does it make you randy? <laughs> I need to take out the dog for a walk. Oh, that's a good excuse. Um, I don't like you right now. That joke you made earlier really offended me. Yeah, and I I think those two kind of go hand in hand because all relationships, I think at some point, there are disagreements that partners have, not necessarily insurmountable, but one of them might say something that offends the other. One of them might be abusive, whether financially or physically or verbally, and that's its own can of worms we need to pop open. Um, But yeah, I think even in long-term committed relationships, there's plenty of reasons you can say no. Um, I want more sleep tonight. I'm a sleepy boy. I need more than six hours. And I I think it's perfectly reasonable where if someone in a relationship just wants to nap more, that's perfectly acceptable. I have a weird itching down there and I want to check it out. And I feel like right now we should put little like crab little claw sounds. Oh, that's excellent. Again, this is the type of high quality audio work that we need someone in the corner of the studio working on. Uh, Just an FYI, I do not have crabs. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, I feel ugly and I don't want my partner to think that I'm ugly. You're beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm just (laughs) saying in general, you know, that's an excuse that might come up more often than not. Not everybody feels like they're perfect. Not everybody might be willing to uh, have sex with people who they respect if they're not feeling perfect. So, um, yeah, that should be a perfectly valid excuse. I don't feel like I can do a good job tonight. You got to impress. Yeah. 100% effort. Go big or go home. Exactly. And, you know, you don't have to be at 100% every night. But I I think, you know, people who... for whom Maslow's tied pretty tightly to their hierarchy of needs probably tie a lot of their self-identity to performing well. And, you know, if they don't feel they're up to it, you know, whether they're super drunk or, you know, they're going through emotional stuff or even like a physical problem. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't push them about that. 
Um, work's been pretty stressful recently. When is it not? I know, right? Gosh. And, you know, maybe, you know, the answer to that would be, you know, letting off some steam. But again, like if someone just wants to be alone with their thoughts or honestly just wants to turn off their thoughts by going to sleep earlier, I think perfectly acceptable. Also, I'd like to plug the idea that uh, it, sex isn't always a way of blowing off steam for everyone. It's a way of steaming? internalizing steam? What's the opposite of that? Can you expound more on that? I just, you, everyone has a different reaction to sex. Sure. So I don't think that, yeah. Here's an example. Not, again, not trying to generalize. Give us an example. Okay. Some people, you know, do it for exercise. Uh, you know, you it's can do 50 squats in the, in, the, in the gym <laughs> or uh, you can... Do some squats in the bedroom. <laughs> do, some squats, do some squats in the bedroom. Excellent. Uh, you know, some people do it because they want to make their partner happy. and Maybe it's, their sex drive's lower, and that's something we need to talk about. But, um, yeah, some people do it because they want just physical release. It's kind of like why people go to the gym. Some people do it because they want to lose weight, and some people do it because it gets rid of their inner demons. That was the main point I wanted to drive. Interesting. Some people do it to build muscle. If you're doing sex right, you can do all three. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some more examples, Naomi. Um, I don't feel like sex will help this situation or fight that we are in. Again, tying back to relationships of all kinds. Uh, here's my personal favorite. I don't want. I want to beat this level in Legend of Zelda Four Swords Adventure Game Boy Advance Deluxe Edition on my limited edition Peach and Nintendo DS with enhanced backlight and GameCube connector. What a nerd! Ah, damn. Why? Why are you trampling over my interests? Like that? <laughs> Just because I don't own one of these doesn't mean I can't lust after it. Okay. But no, I, I think a lot of people have interests. Some people like watching movies. Some people like, you know, catching up on Netflix. Some people like playing video games with their friends. Some people like playing video games by themselves. Some people get really into books. I get really into books. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, a good partner is going to be someone who's, like, constantly trying to interfere with your personal interests and passions and, again, ways of blowing off steam by demanding that you become, you know, kind of their meat puppet. Um, yeah, I, Ew. well, look, you know, we're talking about consent and, you know, no, if you're I was practicing, just visualizing yeah, yeah. a literal meat puppet, well, like I, a puppet I, made out of meat. Look, what I, I guess what I'm getting at is if you value consent, you're treating your partner like a fully actualized human being. And if you're failing to recognize consent, you really don't respect them as an autonomous individual like yourself. Yeah. So yeah, anyone who's like badgering their partner for sex, despite their objections, you know, doesn't think of them. They think of themselves as basically just like a sex toy to use whenever yeah. they feel like it. Um, I have a good one. Okay. Another reason to say no. I don't want your dog to stare at us. Totally fair. Um, I'd probably just end up playing with a dog, let's be honest. That's 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 fair. <laughs> um, I think if you're ever at your significant other's parents' house, that's a perfectly good reason. <laughs> Those bed springs are creaky. The bedrooms do not have good insulation. The last reason that I could think of is I'm saving myself for marriage. That seems perfectly fair. Uh, if you have a problem with that, maybe you shouldn't be dating that person. Yeah. Uh, but Naomi, these are all like out there excuses these are all very specific to people's situations um is this something that's applicable in every situation well like we mentioned before joel i would like to drive the point home that you could just say that you don't want to you could say no how do you say that no one, one more time absolutely not Excellent. Okay. No, I was saying absolutely not. I won't say it again. Oh. <laughs> wow, we're both practicing and reinforcing. This is edutainment. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. That no is always a good enough reason. And I don't think people understand that. And it could, you don't owe anyone an explanation. And if you just aren't yourself, you aren't feeling it, you don't need an excuse in order to get out of having sexual relations with your partner. Now, I, I think excuses can be good, right? If someone really wants to have sex with you and you don't want to, in order to like not hurt their self-esteem, I think maybe it's helpful to provide you know some reasons. Just yeah. not, I think you're ugly or I think you're too fat or I uh, you know think you smell bad or whatever. You know, give them you know some context. But again, they're not; they don't deserve that. Um, and you know, again, you should feel perfectly justified with a one-word response to their badgering. Um, and if there is, if, if they're still badgering after that, again, rethink your relationship. Find someone who respects you and is willing to, you know, understand that you have the ability to enforce your boundaries. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's some people listening to this who are going to say, but guys, siblings, I really want to have sex and my girlfriend keeps turning me down. Shouldn't she understand that I value it in a relationship and have sex with me at least sometimes? What do you think, Naomi? Okay, well, first of all... The answer is no, by the way. Oh, sorry, sorry. The answer is no. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the answer to my girlfriend deserves to have sex with me is... Absolutely not. Okay. But what I was going to say, I was going to get to that point. You really just rushed me into it. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I don't think that if you are having enough issues to call into a podcast that just started... <laughs> we don't even have a phone number. <laughs> you get a hold of us. We don't even have a phone number. We have like a weird email address that's linked yeah. to the Cayman Islands or something. I don't think that you should be coming to other people for sex advice for one. I think you should go to your partner. And I think this is such a big issue with a lot of relationships is they don't effectively communicate. But that's a whole different issue. The main point that I want to drive home is that if your partner does not want to have sex with you, you cannot push them into having sex with you. And you shouldn't be asking around for ideas of how to get them into bed with you. Right. If they just don't want to be having sex with you, that's it. Yeah. You should, you should have sex because you like people. Um, you know, there, there, there are underlying issues in someone's relationship if they have to, like, pay money or do the dishes or watch the kids before, like, sex is involved at any point. Um, you know, unless you're really into domination or something. But, like— That's a whole different subject. That's something, yeah, you need to discuss with your partner. Um, and, and I think, yeah, you know, people believe even if they, like, understand consent that there should be this wiggle room. And I think— there's this basic understanding of consent, which is like, yeah, in most instances, but like if I'm in a dedicated long-term relationship, maybe things change. No, no. Yeah. I think that some people portray that as a gray area and I don't think that's true. Well, okay. So, so here's my middle ground there. Okay. I I think in long-term relationships, you should have a discussion with your partner about how consent is applied. And this doesn't have to be a super formal thing, probably should be a super formal thing, but it can be kind of a casual like, hey, I don't like it when I'm cooking at the stove and you come up and squeeze my butt, right? I don't like it when I'm asleep and you come into bed and wake me up and, you know, try to initiate sex. I'm not a big fan when we're out of public and you, like, kiss me on the lips. It embarrasses me and makes me look less professional. I don't like it when you come up behind me and use my ass crack as a Visa card swiper. I don't like that image. You're welcome. 
Yeah. <laughs> Boy, yeah, that, that just... <sighs> so let's, let's really just jump into some... This is where our trigger warning applies. Let's jump into some issues in which consent can be skewed. 17 situations to consider and what to do next. This is straight from healthline.com. Examples of how consent can be skewed between sexual partners. And I think that this is such an important topic because I have uh, a feeling that a lot of people don't understand that they were raped when they were. I, I think that's fair. Again, you know, this goes back to socializing, you know, people being expected to act in a certain way to be considered polite and not bitchy or aggressive. And I think a lot of people will, you know, question their motives and be like, was I too nice to them? Was I too yeah. flirtatious? Was I, you know, wearing, you know, a certain thing or giving was them the impression fault? of stuff? And sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, that's really damaging, you know, because there's both people who have the perception that certain type of clothing justifies them having sex with you, yeah. but also people wearing that sort of clothing, it might make them feel confident and empowered and happy and all of that. But then if something bad does happen to them, suddenly it's kind of a mark of shame and just another question mark to add to the situation about yeah. whether or not they deserve any responsibility for what occurred. Um, and, I, and I certainly don't think that's the case. So I'm we just sorry. want to get into I just it. Ha- I just have to get into it. Yeah. It is rape if, and here are 17 situations, I initially said yes. So this goes back to the the FRIES acronym. You can reverse your decision at any time. And I don't think that if you are in a situation where you are uncomfortable, that you should keep going. I Second situation, I said no, but they kept asking. So I eventually said yes to get them to stop. You are now sacrificing your emotions. You're putting aside your physical well-being in order to satisfy someone else. And this is considered coercive consent or coerced consent. If someone is repeatedly asking you after you had said no or have said no multiple times, this is considered coerced consent and this is considered rape. Um, I want to interject here for a second. Are you familiar with, like, the series Girls Gone Wild? The one from the early 2000s? I Maybe late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. With the, the Hefner bunnies. Is that still, like, around? I thought, was it, like, no. I thought it was women on, like, spring break. It might have been some actresses, too, but Whoa, I thought it was wait. mostly, I like... I think we're talking about two different things. Let me look. Uh, so, from my recollection, Girls Gone Wild was, like, one of the first, I guess, like widespread amateur softcore porn. There might've been like actual porn part of it uh, that, that, you know, was, was filmed on location during spring breaks in like Florida or other beach towns. And the idea was you'd have a cameraman following women around, asking them to take their shirts off and flashing them for beads. Um, and they'd ply them with alcohol in order to make them more agreeable. Um, and eventually they might invite them back to like their tour bus and, you know, promise them, I think maybe cash, maybe just beads if they like made out with girls or whatever. But the whole point was look at all these flirtatious sluts, you know, look how attractive they are. Look how easy it is to coerce people into doing things. Um, and I want to say like the creator went to prison on some like criminal charges. I don't doubt that. But, but I mean, the reason I'm bringing it up is because, you know, you're talking about saying no, but they kept asking and pretty much in all of these videos, 
they were just like, take off your shirt now, take off your shirt now, take off your shirt. And it was just this constant badgering and reinforcement of a bunch of grown men yelling at these like 17, 18, 19 year old girls, um, you know, that they should, you know, get naked for their entertainment. Um, and what's especially fucked up is there was a court case where a girl actually took them to court and said, hey, um, I was illegally coerced into showing, you know, my breasts on TV and now they're being sold around the United States um, on, you know, this video. Um, I don't want them selling this. I want it taken down and I want, you know, restitution for them, like, putting, you know, my naked images up on um, TV screens around America. And the judge was like, well, on the video, you did say no a bunch, but you were doing so in kind of a flirtatious way. And because she had said no, no, in kind of like a flirtatious way, he eventually was like, oh, you, uh, you, yeah, you don't get anything. And, and, you know, obviously that series is no longer around. Like, it's not something that I think has been... <laughs> In my mind, discussed since the early 2000s, they might still be filming it. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, it's really fucked up that our legal system, you know, values certain principles and is so willing to like look the other way when it's like there's sexual entertainment involved. There's, you know, women's exploitation involved. I don't know. Maybe this was a long preamble just to get to that anecdote. But you get what I'm saying there? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I think that ties into the way that society portrays sex. And I think that anyone who is entertain like our entertainment industry is literally based around sex like I can't name a single movie that I've watched recently that didn't involve like one sort of sex scene or maybe you're a pervert maybe I'm a pervert yeah Yeah. so you're right about Joe Francis going back to that he served 270 days in jail in 2013 um on he was found guilty in May of 2013 of, on three counts of false imprisonment, one count of oh, assault Jesus, causing great bodily injury and one count of dissuading a witness during an incident in his Bel Air mansion in 2013. Oh, it turns out if you make hundreds of thousands of dollars sexually coercing women and plying them with alcohol, you're probably a bad person. I'm pretty sure that he was friends with the Kardashians and he like made like an on phone appearance in their show early on because they were trying to get like pictures of the Kardashians all together Uh for the girls gone wild magazine. Really? Yeah. Cause like Kris Jenner and uh, Joe Francis were friends. Yeah. So I'm sorry for like taking away from your side of this like 17 scenario, but I think no, no, go ahead. That's that's a relatively recent example of, women not being respected as individual actors who have the ability to say no. And there seems to be this gray area that a lot of men just refuse to respect where if a woman sets boundaries, they're not considered really boundaries. They're more considered suggestions. Something to push against. Yeah. And I think that's deeply concerning. You see that like, uh, fuck, what was that leak of like all of the women, the, the celebrities images back in like 2016, 2017? What are you talking about? There was like thousands of naked photos of celebrities released. I'm trying to remember the actual name of it. But but in the same way, a bunch of people are like, oh, you know, they shouldn't have put their photos up on their iCloud accounts if, you know, they expected not to get hacked. And it's like, well, first, the consent was not freely given, right? It was hacked. It was taken away from them. There's so many reasons to, like, take nude photos. Like, if you're a celebrity, you could just want, like, a portrait done or something, like, for your Maybe you need, like, a photo shoot, and they need an idea of your proportions. Maybe, Maybe you just were feeling yourself that day, and you were like, wow, I don't feel this confident normally. I'm going to take a picture to remember. Maybe you're tracking weight loss, and, like, you've been doing this every month for a while to kind of see, you know, whether or not it's progress. Maybe you're tracking weight gain because you want a better bust. I don't know, but 
it's not anybody's business. And, you know, I think Girls Gone Wild leaks of people's, like, um, nudes, uh, a bunch of amateur porn on the internet, you know, it's not consensual because people, in no instance do we have evidence, you know, they gave their consent for that stuff to be released. Um, and even if they did, you know, there's this weird scenario where it's like, what if they want to take it back? And I think a lot of people would be like, oh, you pose, pose nude in Playboy, right? You don't yeah. deserve to have the ability to revoke your consent. I don't have a good answer for that. Because, like, if you sell, sell your nudity as a product, that creates this kind of weird situation. It's I watched a bunch of documentaries, the After Porn series. I think it's still on Netflix. I watched it a number of years ago where these porn artists were talking about how much they, like, regretted being in pornography films and talked about how much they like wanted to take it down because like they'd be recognized on the street or mm-hmm. they couldn't like throw birthday parties for their children. Oh, that's fucked up. Because like the parents would show up and be like, Oh, I know who you are. Like you can't be raising a child. I don't want you to raise my, ch- around my children. I've heard a lot of teachers have lost their jobs because they used to be former porn stars. And it's like, Oh, you mean someone or who's only actively fans? helping children yeah. deserves to be condemned because they were trying to make money to stay alive. Yeah. I mean, it got as bad as like some of the, the former porn artists didn't want to uh, go to their sons, their adult or teenage son's birthday parties because she felt like the son's friends would recognize her. Right. So I think in those situations, like obviously you, if, if you feel this way, you could just feel like you were young and dumb and didn't know what you were doing, but I don't think it's a gray area. I think like, well, I guess what I mean by gray area is not, yes, there's, you know, implications of this morally. I mean more of like, I think there's people listening to this who, again, think they understand consent but are still actively pursuing these things. And yeah. you need to understand you're not really respecting consent if you're constantly violating the autonomy of individuals. You know, if you're pirating people's OnlyFans, that's a great example, right? You're stealing yeah. something that's their livelihood by saying, you know, oh, I deserve to have these nude pictures of this person given to me for free when they're just trying to make money off this. And again, you know, pay rent, finance themselves through medical school, whatever. Um, so I, I, I do think that's something that, you know, listeners need to think critically about. It's like, okay, maybe you've never like actively sexually assaulted anybody. Great. Good for you. However, are you violating people's consent in other areas of your life? Do they have the ability to say no and revoke, you know, consent after it's given? If, you know, you're actively pursuing this kind of content, you're probably not respecting that. I'm sorry. That, that, I don't know where you know, that came from. I just felt, you know, that's something I wanted to it dig a little It needed to be said. Into. Speak yeah. your truth. Okay. Number three. I Back said to our list of 17. Actual list of 17. Yeah. Number three, I said I didn't want to do something specific, but they tried to do it anyway. The next couple that I list are kind of uh, self-explanatory. Number, what are we on? Three, four, four now? Mm -hmm. I asked them to stop doing something and they ignored me. Number five, I said what they were doing hurt, but they kept going. Number six, they forced my face down or held me in a position I didn't agree to. Let's pause for a second. So you've gone through a couple of them. Yeah. I, again, I think they're, they're related, but I don't think we enough. should go too in detail about some of these. Yeah, but I, I think it's worth emphasizing if you're having sex with someone, you don't get to decide if something hurts or not. They know far better than you do whether yeah. or not that's the case. You don't get to say, oh, you know, I'm close or whatever. No, that's super fucked up and potentially, like, medically damaging to them as well. But, yeah, they have the ability to revoke consent at any time. Your pleasure does not come first, and you do not know better than they do. 
Number seven, I said we had to use a condom, but they didn't or took it off without my knowledge. Um, I heard a comedian recently talk about her experience when it came to men in their 20s wearing condoms. And she used the analogy of getting a man in their 20s to wear a condom while having sex is like having a child on Halloween wear a raincoat. And I think this is pretty applicable for the simple fact that men in their 20s, I'm going to generalize really quickly because this is the only sort of sexual experience that I've had, seek out pleasure and they seek out pleasure in any way possible. So if that is using a condom, uh, forcing themselves on others, they seek out any form of pleasure that they can find and they push the boundaries in order to get this pleasure. I think that what a lot of people don't understand is going back to the original point. If someone takes off the condom without your knowledge during sex, it is considered rape. Why is that? Well, if we look at our definition of consent, consent is freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. Uh, if they were not violating all five of those, yeah, yeah. that the big one that I can think of is informed. If they were mm-hmm. not informed that you took off the condom during sex, that is considered rape. Yeah, most people, I would say, the vast majority of sexual encounters are not done for the purpose of having kids. Yeah, I also think that you know there's many forms of birth control. Um, condoms, you know, protect against pregnancy. They can also prevent spreading certain STIs. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of reasons why someone might want you to wear a condom, including the simple act that it's an indication of whether or not you can trust that person. Yeah. But don't be a fuck boy. Don't be fuck. Don't don't be a rapist. I guess. Jeez. Yeah. It's it's not much more complicated. I I don't think fuck boy covers it. Yeah. Like I mean that that is you know whether or not you know we want to argue over the semantics of it. That's a criminal crime. That's Mm -hmm. illegal. Especially if that person is carrying something that they don't know that they're carrying and then spreads it. Number eight, I didn't say no. And this goes back to what sort of consent is given in situations. So we talked about having a contract. We talked about a handshake. We talked about verbal consent. But talking about relational long-term consent, I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. What are, that is something that you and your partner have to figure out on your own. What is something that is um, something long-term that is an indication that your partner is given consent? And that is obviously talked about um, before you get into the bedroom, not in the act, hopefully. (laughs) I didn't physically fight back. I don't think that you should have to fight back in order to get someone to stop their actions towards you. I don't know if anyone listening to this is going to, you know, dispute. Yeah, if there's like fighting back involved, you know, consent. Hey, we're giving all the information. That's fair. Okay. Number 10, I don't remember what happened. Number 11, I was asleep or unconscious. Number 12, I was drunk. 13, they were drunk. 14, I was high. 15, they were high. All of these have to do with substances involved with having sex. So let's talk about substances that mess up your brain cognition. Let's talk about alcohol for a second. Okay. Um, I'm not a big drinker. I don't like the taste of beer. We're both gluten intolerant from parents that have gluten intolerance. Uh, makes me gassy, makes me feel kind of bloated. 
Um, uh, that said, you know, I enjoy fruity cocktails. I enjoy ciders. And especially when I'm at parties, I enjoy drinking a couple of those. One, for the flavor, but two, because I think alcohol is a social lubricant. Yeah. It makes you, I think, a little more chatty and personable. Breaks you out of your shell. It makes me, you more likely to talk to people you don't know, which can be super helpful when you're at a party with a bunch of people you're not familiar with, right? Alcohol can be really helpful for improving your, like, social, um, I'm going to say social performance. That's not really the right word. <laughs> just, just in general, interacting socially. And I think a lot of people will drink alcohol, even if they're not, you know, interested in getting drunk, simply so that they can, quote, loosen up. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I, I think it's worth noting that there are certain limits to drinking alcohol, such as, you know, you might black out. Um, you might, you know, get liver damage. You might have any sort of health ailments that accompany, you know, long-term alcohol use. Um, and, you know, people need to be aware that there, you know, are problems that come with consuming alcohol in, you know, high quantities. Uh, at the same time, though, you know, someone who consumes vast quantities of alcohol um, is not responsible for you know someone stealing their wallet they're not responsible if their car keys get stolen and their car is you know driven into a mailbox and they're definitely not responsible if they're sexually assaulted right um i, I think it's super important that is emphasize- not true in all states we need to touch on that i think okay. it's no, minnesota where if you are sexually assaulted it is considered your fault and you cannot sue the perpetrator and, and let me back up a second the reason i'm going over all the reasons people would want to drink alcohol is because People don't drink alcohol so that they can necessarily have more sex. They're not going out and drinking alcohol so that they can be more desirable or so that they find other people more desirable through the beer goggles effect. Typically, they're just drinking alcohol at parties to have fun. Yeah. And you can't pretend that like, oh, because they drank alcohol, that's an invitation to have sex. Um, I, I think that's, you know, the furthest from the truth. Um, I think, you know, in all activities, there's plenty of reasons people do that, and especially when drinking excess at parties. Uh, yeah, you drinking excess at parties is not um, something that can be considered an open invitation to sex, and people shouldn't take advantage of that. I hope that's abundantly clear. If not Let's also go over the manner. fact that you are responsible, even if you are completely obliterated, you are so far gone that you don't remember any of your actions the next morning, you made the decision to drink alcohol and you are responsible for your actions, meaning that you're responsible for sexually assaulting or raping another individual. Okay, so can can we discuss this? I don't want to get into, like, details. This is obviously, like, a very harsh, buzzkill conversation. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people are likely confused over this distinction between someone not being responsible for getting sexually assaulted and somebody being responsible for sexually assaulting. And as far as I'm aware, legally, this is a super gray area that varies significantly state to state and that, you know, even college campuses might have distinct rules on. Um, So I I don't have, like, a good answer. I don't have a general principle um, I think the reality is a lot of sexual contact between people does happen when they're taking substances or drinking alcohol. Um, and I would say um, try to avoid those situations if possible. I'm not saying you're responsible, but remove the ambiguity from your relationship. You know, we're talking about, or, you know, even not a relationship, but when we're talking about consent, you know, consent is something that's freely given. Uh, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific, and alcohol blurs the lines for all of that. You know, is that enthusiasm a byproduct of the giddiness that comes with drinking alcohol? 
Um, you know, are you really being specific or are you, you know, slurring your words and unable to articulate what you want? Uh, is it informed if like you're kind of fading in and out mentally and can't necessarily make decisions? Probably not. Um, is it reversible if you pass out halfway through? Probably not. Is it freely given? Again, arguable with that, you know, social lubricant in you. Um, in a relationship, maybe you can have a conversation about, you know, when to involve alcohol in, in the bedroom. But yeah, it, it's it's a awkward, messy situation that doesn't have a lot of clear answers. And I personally, my opinion is people should avoid it. It doesn't make them responsible if they do find themselves in these situations where they've been sexually assaulted. I'm not blaming the person that is sexually assaulted. Yes. Is sexual assault, sexually assaulted. I'm saying that the person who was, let's just say, under the influence and committed a crime and raped another individual is responsible for their actions. Yes, in I that would agree situation. with that. Legally and morally. Yes. If you punch somebody when you're drunk at a bar, you're still going to be responsible for that. You're still probably going to be... Uh, Booked for assault. Yes. Uh, yeah, arrested for assault, yeah. Okay, number 16... We were friends. Acquaintance uh, rape or date rape? So more than one third of rapes are committed by a friend or someone that the survivor knew. I've so, heard it's higher than that. Okay. Okay. This is coming from Healthline. Well, so. I've heard that, you know, unfortunately, the reality is a lot of abuse is towards children. Mm-hmm. And something like 90% of all abuse, if you include that, is from parents, guardians, friends, family acquaintances, Etc. Other family members. Yeah. Um, and I don't want people to be, you know, horribly terrified and traumatized to everyone around them's intentions. I think it's just worth emphasizing that, like, it's the people closest to you that have the highest likelihood of committing these acts. Um, and so, you know, you may be particularly cautious out in public. That's totally fine. But, you know, if you're concerned about this, keep your guard up, you know, in all settings. Um, bring a taser th- with you everywhere you go. Bring a taser. <laughs> Um, and uh, boy, this is a fun topic to really dig into main, main episode, episode one. Um, yeah, I mean, there's shitty people out there, but do keep in mind, um, most abusers are serial abusers. The minority of individuals are the ones committing these crimes. Um, I've heard, you know, the 80, 20 rule apply here, um, where like any one person has a very low chance of, you know, being, a bad actor, a bad entity. Um, unfortunately, they do commit crimes on a number of individuals. So it's not as though you need to be, you know, horribly cautious and afraid of everyone around you. Just keep in mind there are certain risk factors, and those are the things that, like, statistics has confirmed time and time again. Keep your guard up, y'all. The last one, number 17, we were in a relationship. So I have a little story here. Um, one of the main reasons why we started this podcast because was because I wanted to write a book about all of my shitty situations that I've been in with men uh, that I met on dating apps. Uh, here's my first story of many of shitty men that I've met on dating apps. So I don't even remember his name, to be completely that's honest good. with you. That, I think, yeah, that's a good thing. Um, I matched with this guy. He was interested in meeting me. I have this uh, filtering process that I go through that I FaceTime or video chat with the uh, individual before I meet them in public. I always meet them in a public place, but just for my own safety, 
um, just to make sure I'm comfortable with this individual, I FaceTime them. So I was on FaceTime with this person and we had met on Hinge and we were talking and he had mentioned several times, which was a red flag to me that he had just gone out and got, gotten out of a relationship and he was talking very lovingly about his ex-girlfriend still. And I was like, okay, that's the first red flag. And he talked about how uh, I, I kind of asked him, I was like, obviously this is a situation in which you want to talk about it. So I'm going to ask you what happened in your relationship that caused you to break up. And he said, well, she wasn't really happy. We weren't really happy. We fought a lot. And uh, she accused me of rape. And I was like, okay, that's not a casual accusation. Uh, Tell me about that. And he said, well, I know that you're studying to be a sexual uh, educator. So you know about consent. Uh, Tell me what you think. He then goes on to detail a very graphic story about how um, he, in my mind, the way that he portrayed the story, he had raped his girlfriend. They were in a relationship He made it very clear that they were in a relationship and he was crossing the boundaries because she was sleeping. I found that extremely disgusting and later found out that I was actually in a circle close to his circle through a friend that I graduated high school with's older sister. And that was her roommate who she was living with's boyfriend. Uh, If you can connect all the dots there, I'm impressed. But um To finish this story, relational rape happens and it is common and it is even in a relationship, you need consent in order to go through with your sexual desires. And again, in long term relationships, you can skip some of that if you've had a discussion with your partner about the limitations and boundaries they're comfortable with, right? We're not saying there needs to be a handwritten contract every single time and two people voice recorded and, you know, uh, them pricking their pinkies. and Don't get me wrong. You can do that. You can do that, too, if you want. Um, But, yeah, for for hookups and close encounters and all of that, consent is 100% required in, like, a very enthusiastic, direct manner. And in relationships, that doesn't go away unless you had that discussion. Just because someone's agreed to date you doesn't mean they constantly want to have sex with you. Um, it definitely doesn't mean they're 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 supposed to constantly have sex with you. Um, it's really fucked up if you think of your partner as you know just the the again lack of better term meat puppet that's supposed to you know indulge all of your base desires. Um, find someone who 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 loves you and wants to have sex with you and don't violate their autonomy. Boy, are we out of the woods yet? No, not quite yet. I need to talk about one more point. Um, The cost of rape. And Joel didn't really want to touch on this, but I was honestly interested because recently I read a statistic from the CDC that said that the estimated lifetime cost of rape was $122,461 per victim or a population economic burden of nearly $3.1 trillion as of 2014 over a victim's lifetime. Well, it's all victims. Adult victims. All victims. All victims? All victims. All victims. It's not $3.1 trillion per person. Okay, here's here's my, my thought on this. I think you're a really shitty person if you judge exclusively the impact of rape on how much it costs the person who was assaulted. 
I think that's a horrible way of looking at things. You should care about human beings because they're human beings, because you have this like common heritage, because you recognize them as worthy of value in the same way that you are worthy of value in love and affection. With that in mind, I think there's people who will say, oh, sexual assault isn't that big of a deal. It's not that big of a problem. You know, a lot of women are just complaining about, you know, one night stands that they didn't they didn't go the way they wanted. And no. Or or they say that it was all made up. Or they say it's all made up. Or, and, you know, I think a lot of people still don't treat mental health with any degree of respect. They'll say, you know, I think a lot of people are just pussies these days who, you know, don't know how to take a joke or, you know, they don't know, you know, how to be strong and resilient like we were back in the day when we were fighting, you know, the commies over in uh, wherever we were fighting the commies. It, there's too many countries to name where we were fighting the commies. <laughs> but look, my, my, my point is there are actual costs that you can quantify, even if you think in this incredibly fucked up way, even if you don't value the needs of women and the effects that they suffer because of this. There are serious economic repercussions both for the average victim and for the economy as a whole. And so, like, these things have been tabulated, have been calculated, um, and it's worthy keeping that in mind when talking about this issue of sexual assault. Uh, It's that it impacts all of us. This trickles down and harms all of us in the end. Don't think of it exclusively in terms of economic value, but if you need some way of sort of understanding the scope of the issue, $122,000 per victim is pretty fucking high. So let's move on to a segment that I will continue to report back to. Um, I'm going to call it what it is, and I'm just going to say, I'm going to name it, Calling Out ASU. Oh, Jesus. Like Family, many where of is you ASU? Know, like many of you know, Joel and I both, at, one of us attended, one of us is still attending Arizona State University. And as the individual still attending Arizona State University, I keep up with the news. Uh, last Careful, year, we want the ASU sponsorship at some point. <laughs> one, last year around this time, a story broke about Elena and uh, there's a hashtag uh, stand with Elena. I think that was the hashtag. That, justice for Elena, sorry. I follow and am looking to be a part of the Sun Devils Against Sexual Assault group at Arizona State University, which is a group of individuals who are alumni, current students, and faculty uh, getting victims of sexual assault involved with or in contact with um, lawyers and people that can help them get justice against their perpetrators. So... Last year on this time, uh, the news broke at Arizona State University that a girl was raped and did all the right things. She uh, went and got uh, her swabbed and uh, gave her clothes over, reported the crime, gave all the information she could, and Arizona State University did absolutely nothing. The police blamed Elena And she has asked for a a compensation. Um, She, I think she's tried to sue Arizona State University and uh, a lot of other clubs at Arizona State University are coming forward and standing with Sun Devils Against Sexual Assault um, in order to show the university and the administration that we do need a care center, a -A C-A-A-R center that would provide therapy and other sorts of counseling for victims of sexual assault and rape. And that is the end of this segment for this episode. Um, well, it might be the end of the segment, but 
again, I think there's a demographic of people who think that college students are all snowflakes who don't know how to deal with like any sort of traumatic experience. Um, and I think a lot of people don't seem to understand when you're at college, you're away from your friends and family. You're away from your like comfortable home environment. You don't have the same, you know, for again back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the same like basic things you need in order to be mentally healthy. You're in an environment you're unfamiliar with. You don't necessarily have the support structures you need in order to get by. Um, and so when colleges refuse to invest in centers, that provide mental health support, that provide medical care, that provide a way of documenting issues like sexual assault. Um, they're filling a need that is not currently being met in out-of-state students. But they're also, A, doing the right thing by listening to people who say they're victims and gathering all the materials needed to prosecute bad actors, um, but they're also making sure their community is safer and that this won't happen again and that they can identify and eliminate bad actors, i.e. sexual abusers, i.e. rapists from the community. And it is my personal opinion, ASU, like many colleges, has absolutely dropped the ball when it comes to sexual assault prevention, as well as any degree of follow-up when crimes are reported. And the issue with that is that it's known it's a it's a university that has the largest student population in the country. A lot of out of state students, a lot international of students, students, China, students, Middle exactly. East, Russia. Exactly. The issue is that it's a big school. It's a known as a party school, and they should have they should know that this is going to happen because it's sort of inevitable at this point if you go to a party school because people will overlook it. So I feel like perpetrators will come and use individuals because they know that nobody will listen to these individuals. And I would argue ASU is no longer known as as much of a party school as it used to be. That is false. In the early 2000s, it was considered Playboy's top one party school. Okay, that is because... There were several people that had died at parties. Uh, okay, but n- not to be under too much, but Michael Crow, the current president of CEO, has tried to make ASU into this model of what he calls the new American university. And he's tried to, quote, clean up ASU by getting rid of a lot of refrats, uh, striking down bad behavior, making sure the reputation of the university is good. I see absolutely no reason why investing into sexual assault prevention programs as well as sexual assault treatment clinics, all kinds of healthcare services related to that, would not be a great reflection of ASU as a school that has zero tolerance for abuse and one that is paving the way. You know, people are like, well, why should colleges be the ones to foot the bill? Because colleges foot the bill for all sorts of things that relate to the well-being of their students. Colleges have these giant gymnasiums with all this workout equipment. Some of it's for their athletes. Some of it's just so their students can, you know, be healthy. Colleges invest in sports clubs and hobbyist things. ASU, I think, has over a thousand different student clubs, you know, attracting all sorts of interests. But, like, colleges already do this because they recognize people are in an unfamiliar environment and they recognize that there's a need for individuals at this period of life to have the opportunity to, you know, grow and be emotionally healthy and more well-rounded. The idea that you would, like, not factor in health care or not factor in mental health care to that equation is just completely ridiculous. And obviously, you know, sexual assault prevention programs and, like, medical stuff could apply to other things. It wouldn't need to be exclusively dedicated to, you know, rape crisis programs. But, like, 
<laughs> there needs to be some bare minimum. And again, ASU's just dropped the ball repeatedly, and we will probably continue to bring up horror stories from them throughout this podcast. Do better, ASU. Do better. <sighs> Naomi, we're, we're, we're nearly through. We're um, nearly through. There's one other thing that I think is worth bringing up in a discussion of consent. Same way that I think a lot of guys will look at revenge porn online or not think of it as a violation of consent, and that is dick pics. I want this on the record. I have not sent a dick pic in my life. I want this on the record. I have received a number of dick pics, unsolicited I'm assuming you haven't life. sent any dick pics in your life. You don't know that. This is true. Um, what if I want to intimidate the person that's sending me dick pics by sending another really person's point. dick pic? Yeah. Um, you know, I've read a couple studies on this. Um, there's not a lot of research. It's also a lot of self-reported research. I don't know how you do more like on the ground like interactions. It's not accurate. Um, no one's really certain the motives of people sending this. Some people say it's people who are, have like super high self-esteem. Some people say it's people who have super low self-esteem. Doesn't matter. They're shitty people. Uh, in the same way that you should be arrested and prosecuted if you're flashing people on the street or masturbating to people on the bus, you should probably have some degree of criminal penalties for just sending out your dick to, like, random individuals. Um, it's fucked up. Uh, people agree to put themselves in sexual situations. When they open up a text message and a dick appears, they did not agree to that. Um, it's even more um, awkward when you're in front of your parents and you open up an unsolicited dick pic. I think that... Like, not that that's ever happened. When I was younger, I had a feeling that, like, young men wanted me to just screenshot the dick pic, print it out, put it on my wall, admire their penis as I walked by every single day. I didn't quite understand the point of penis pictures. And until recently, I realized that men are a lot more, um, that they're a lot more visually driven uh, when it comes to sex than women are. And so they think that it's appealing because they assume that women are the same way. They think it's appealing to send a picture like that. I, I agree to some extent. I mean, I think when we go back to like Maslow and the top part of the pyramid, you know, it ties into this esteem aspect where people want, you know, prestige and a feeling of accomplishment. They want to say, you know, oh, I'm so sexually desirable. Women, you know, are sending me pictures of their nude bodies in return for my dick. They want people to say, you know, you're very attractive and you, you know, have incredible stamina or whatever. Um, and, and when they're sending dick pics, you know, part of it might be for like exhibitionist reasons. But part of it, I think, is the desire for someone at some point to say, wow, that's a really big dick. Do you want to have sex? And I don't think that happens that often, but if they do it enough, I'm sure they're going to find one example, one counterexample that, you know, they use to justify all of their actions. Um, yeah, don't send dick pics, guys. Uh, I mean, that goes for women, too. That goes for all unless genders. Unless they ask for it. Unless and they ask yes for it. And return. when we're talking about consent, that should very, very much be explicit when you're text messaging with someone. Remember, kids. Consent is sexy, and it never ruins the mood. And if it does ruin the mood, maybe that's not the right person to be having sex with. I think that's fair. Nothing more attractive than someone, like, making it very clear they want to have sexy times with you. One final point that I want to bring up before we move into our final segment of the show is I have heard recently from a number of my male friends that they have never been asked for consent by women. And I find that fascinating because I think that a lot of women just assume that men are giving consent because the men are usually the ones um, initiating the sexual encounter. 
but I think that more women should ask men for consent. I have heard that it's even attractive for women to ask for consent because the men uh, think that they um, respect the men more and they find it incredibly appealing for a long-term relationship. I would agree. I don't have much to say about that. Um, women, be the change you want to see in the world. We're not yes. saying exclusively your responsibility, but you can definitely help normalize these behaviors. Consent is sexy. Consent is sexy. Okay, Joel, this is all you. Spotlight's on what you. What are you talking about? Spotlight's you on you. You think I have something? What is the last segment? Okay, so we are an this hour and 20 minutes. This is a surprise Exactly. We are an hour and 20 minutes into a very uncomfortable episode that I think some people will start listening to and then put down. But I'm hoping that you have hung in. For, for, for so long through excruciating talk about awkward, difficult to articulate um, sexual knowledge. And because you've stuck in for so long, I'd like to introduce our first bit of our podcast, the first uh, fun, whimsical aside to the main content. And that is a little thing I'd like to call The Price is Wrong. Oh, Oh, they say you can put a price on anything, or maybe I just misheard that song. But there's a segment I want to make, and we only have a single take, so it's time for The Price is Wrong. I'm horrified. Thank you. Uh, The Price is Wrong bears no relation to any game show, past or present. Uh, If you believe that, uh, I got a bridge to sell you. (laughs) Naomi, this is a new segment of a show I've created to boost our flagging viewer numbers. Yes, we're four episodes in, but I also put a down payment on a new speedboat, so we really need to get cracking. Okay. I'm going to describe some product that involves relationships. You're going to estimate how much it goes for. If you can guess two out of three correctly, you win. Now, I win. That's, that's the question. I think we could just play for points, but I would argue there's a far more devious thing we could do, and that is whoever loses has to come up with the bit for the next podcast. Oh, crap. I'm not that creative. I have to get these right. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't have to be a Price is Wrong segment, um, but yes, two out of three, I might even throw in a bonus point if you're particularly bad at this. Okay. So bear with me. Naomi, this is a book. I'm going to read a description written by the author. Oh, God. After I read this description, you are probably going to cringe uncontrollably, but then I'm going to need you to tell me how much this product goes for. Naomi, some guys call it the lazy man's way to easy sex and romance. And here's a quick look at just a few of the proven techniques the author will share with you inside. These include three magic tricks you can start using this weekend that will have women begging to have anything go sex with you, even if they're married or have boyfriends. It also includes the seven-step seduction system that takes you from saying hello to a new woman to sharing orgasms in bed with her in just one evening. It includes nine silent techniques that magnetically get a girl to like you. Warning, this is in parentheses, you must agree to use these for legit moral purposes only. Two, powerful first date secrets that almost spontaneously lead to sex, parentheses, even if you screw everything else up. And finally, seven simple secrets to changing your appearance as soon as tonight that will immediately double or even triple your attractiveness to women. Naomi, this is a miracle product. This is the snake oil of relationships. I want you to tell me how much this book goes for. Joel, I'm sorry I wasn't listening. Can you redo that entire bit? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to? I'll do a voice. (laughs) I I do need to go back to the rules section of this segment. Uh, How close to the price do I need to be in order to be right? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to say... 
within 10% of the actual price. Some okay. of this stuff might be super cheap. Some of it might be super okay. expensive. We'll say within 10%. Okay. Um, and it's you said book. this is a book. book. I'm going to go $17.99. $17.99. Naomi, you do not know how to value knowledge because this thing is retailing for $39.97. Fuck my life. $39.97 is approximately three Taco 12 packs from Taco Bell plus <laughs> sales tax. Think about Can what we get could tacos be after this? We should get tacos after this. Okay. It was Cinco de Mayo this week. We should celebrate and recognize it in some way. At Taco Bell. <laughs> um, let's be clear. There are many reasons to recognize the holiday of Cinco de Mayo that don't involve food and cultural appropriation. Um, we just enjoy tacos and we live in Arizona. Don't we should make us. margarita. No, I didn't just say that. I'm underage. I can't drink. I just drink margarita mix. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi, what if I told you you could have a one-time email consultation with this fine gentleman? the person who wrote this book, how much would you be willing to pay for that? Now, to be clear, the techniques he will be revealing have become something of a legend across college campuses and throughout the single scene. So much so that single and married guys all across the country now come to him for personal one-on-one -on -one coaching. One-time email consultation with this gentleman, what is he charging for it? It's a, it's a, so you email him and he emails you back. I'm ugly and women won't fuck me. And then he like gives you all the answers you, you magically. $329.95. Oh, you're so bad at this. See, yes. I'm, I'm really excited for when we have multiple guests on and we can like really play off yeah. each other. But Naomi, that unfortunately goes for $50 for a single. Are you kidding me? His book us. is worth 30 something dollars. Are you fucking kidding $50. Okay. $50 could get you five double-double burger combos. That's uh, five medium drinks, orders of fries, and double-double burgers from In-N-Out, plus five shakes, which I think would be a perfect way oh to start an afternoon off with some friends. Tacos and hamburgers. I know. Animal-style fries Ooh. inside a corn tortilla? No, I was talking, like, in the same meal, not together. Okay. Naomi. Yep. Now... You can get this book, the book I already mentioned, with five exclusive reports attached. These include creating attraction through body language, what if she has a boyfriend, getting over your social anxiety, how to detach yourself from desperation, and workplace romances. This includes information such as revealing a single word that will completely eliminate social anxieties in 14 days or less, and five ultra-powerful words to speak to a woman in this situation make her instantly obsessed with having sex with you. Naomi, this does not go for the price the creator thinks it's worth. It goes for $39.97. But he believes this is a what dollar amount value? It's how five much, bucks. Five reports plus the book is how much value that he thinks he's bringing to you. I'll give you a hint. The whole package goes for a rounded figure between five and $700. $4,569.95. Naomi, I said $500 and $700 it goes between. Why did you say $4,000? Because... Let's try the that way, again. The way that he, you just described him as a person just makes me think that it's he thinks that his products are worth way more than they're actually worth. You should have taken the hint. It goes for $600 for the complete package. But again, he's selling it for just $39.97. I thought you said, he, what do you think he thinks it's estimated for? Yes, and I told you between five I and seven hundred dollars. Naomi, 
for $600, not including sales tax, you can get two elite annual passes to Legoland. That's unlimited mission to Legoland California, Legoland Water Park, and Sea Life Aquarium for one year, including the brick o treat party nights entry and a 25% discount on dining and retail in the park. Okay, new Spend plan. Spend your money on that. New plan. <laughs> we hit the road right now. We grab In-N-Out and Tacos on the way out of town, and we hit Legoland later tonight. Sure they don't want to support this sad, desperate sack of shit? I'll tell you what, I don't want to support him because I will not be sharing a link to that content or his name. He's a Damn. shitty human being, and I want to make fun of him. Damn. Thank you for playing The Price is Wrong, Naomi. What was your final score? I believe it was zero, zero out of three. Out of three. <laughs> so, guests, get ready, because in the future, Naomi will come up with a new exclusive segment, a fun, whimsical uh, distraction from some of our more serious It'll content. It'll probably involve food. It will and probably you'll have to in, in listen to us chomp on things. This is going to become an asthma podcast. Asthma murder podcast. It's ASMR. It's not asthma. Asthma indeed. Okay. Uh, Naomi, I think that might be it for our episode. I think that's good I think we have outstayed up. our welcome. Um, I hope people have either learned things about consent or um, refreshed your knowledge. Um, please, you know, keep in mind that consent is something that allows people to explore different aspects of themselves. It allows them to, you know, truly become an actualized human being. Don't be the, like the fucker who like messes up with that. Don't commit crimes, be a good person. Um, and, you know, actively try to learn stuff. If you know, you feel uncomfortable with any of these topics and, uh, need a refresher. Consent is sexy kids. I think we are sexy. Oh yeah. Okay, well, it has been fun. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Have a great week, everyone. We hope you have a great week. Until next time, this is us signing off.